God, we give you thanks that you've called us to follow you. Lord, we thank you that you've come into our midst and have shown us the way. So we think about what it means for us to follow you today in our own lives. Pray that you would give us insight and give us the will to do so. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was looking at the passage this week, um, we're going to focus on our gospel text. And I was thinking a lot about this sense of call, this calling of the first disciples and just the challenge of that call, right? I mean, Jesus asked them to do something that might feel risky or difficult or unsure, right? They're, They're kind of wrestling with this decision of what does it mean to follow him? I was kind of thinking about just how oftentimes that plays out in the business world, right? There's a lot of stories of businessmen and businesswomen, people who are trying something new and taking chances and doing something risky because they're seeing an opportunity. They're seeing things from a different perspective that other people before them hadn't seen. But that doesn't mean that the risk isn't there to try that different thing. And so as I was kind of reading up on some stories, and some of you right, can think of like, you know, Apple, right, and Steve Jobs starting it in his garage. Um, I didn't know the story, but I came across the story of McDonald's and how McDonald's started. So um, interesting parallel, McDonald's was... Um, was formed by a group of two brothers, right? We have two sets of two brothers in our gospel stories. Like, hmm, that's interesting. Um, so these entrepreneurial brothers who had moved from the East Coast to Southern California in the 40s and were kind of just like figuring it out. They were dabbling in the movie industry and a bunch of other things. And so one of the things they kind of were dipping their toes into was food, the restaurant world. And Interestingly, I didn't know this, but McDonald's actually started as a barbecue restaurant. So they served a bunch of things, and hamburgers were a big hit. And so this was, you know, the 40s. This is like the high day, this is like the high day of the drive-in style with the car hops and all that. And so at one point, this, the very first McDonald's restaurant had about 125 parking spaces. And so people would come and, you know, it had rave reviews and all of this. And they were so successful that the brothers were kind of closed, actually, for a short season to evaluate their business model and be like, how can we manage all of this demand? And as they were looking at their business model, they decided to try something really new and different. And essentially what they did, and they were the first to do this, is they adapted kind of like an assembly line mentality to the restaurant world. So instead, and and basically they said, how can we optimize and make our hamburgers the fastest hamburgers that you can get in town? And so they, one of the ways they did that is they eliminated the car hops. And so that was a big shift. And so when they reopened, some people didn't like that. They, you know, they're like, wait, I've got to get out of my car and I've got to go get my own food instead of having it delivered. But the thought was by making it streamlined, they were able to, to knock down their costs a ton. And eventually, right, we know how this story plays out, right? McDonald's is one of the most successful businesses of the 20th century, right? It's, this, it's not just an American food icon, right? It's this global food icon. And so what was interesting about this story to me is that the McDonald's brothers, they decided to take a risk to do something new and do something different, right? Things were working. They seemed like they had it figured out, but there was an opportunity to do something new and different. 
They were successful, right, in this shift, but this risk it could have potentially destroyed their business. So, like I mentioned, in our gospel passage today, we encounter some sets of brothers who have family businesses who make a major shift that forever changes their sense of who they are and their vocation in the world. And so, to be clear, right, analogies always have limits. Uh, please don't hear me saying that following Jesus means that your life is going to be more efficient and successful. That's not the parallel to discover here, right? The comparison for me isn't in the methods of what the McDonald's brothers did and then Peter and Andrew and James and John. The comparison for me is really this willingness to do something different, to step out in faith, to say, how can I be obedient and to this new opportunity that's presenting itself, even if it's intimidating and I may not have all the answers to this. And part of the reason that I bring this up is, I think if we really sit back and think about it, following Jesus is disruptive, right? Following Jesus, there's this sense that if we're truly going to follow after Jesus, there is a little bit of risk involved, right? There is a little bit of saying that I might have to break with the norm of what I think is normal for how I want to live or how the world around me wants to live, that there might be some wrestling with all of this, and so this morning, as we think about what it means to follow Jesus, I want to use two words to kind of guide our, our conversation, to think about what this holy disruption that Jesus might be calling us into can look like. And those two words that I'm going to use this morning are repent and reframe. So repent obviously comes from our Bible passage, right? Verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but reframe Reframe, I'm kind of getting at this follow me discipleship piece, and I'll unpack that a little bit more when we get there. The disruption that Jesus causes, I think, is ultimately a re-examination of our lives. And we need to both repent from the current way that we're living, as well as reframe the way that we see ourselves and how we live in the world. I think that's the invitation that Jesus has for us this morning. So firstly, repent. Um, verse 12, right, we, it's interesting because it's almost like a stage direction in a play, right? We're shifting scenes. Now, when he had heard that John had been arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. So, right, John the Baptist is coming out of the picture. Jesus is returning from the wilderness, and he's coming into Galilee. But instead of going to his hometown in Nazareth, Jesus sets up his operations in Capernaum. And so Capernaum is really interesting because Capernaum is this little coastal town on the Sea of Galilee, but it was, it was Jewish in, in origin, but it sat on a really interesting trade route that all, ran all the way to coastal Israel. And so there was a lot of cultural influence there, right? You can almost see that God, God is kind of preparing a place for Jesus to operate out of that is distinctively Jewish, but at the same time has a lot of other cultural influence and areas for exposure. And so that's what's happening in Capernaum. And Jesus comes on the scene and right, we, we get this really, this one sentence summary of what Jesus' beginning ministry, right? The, the beginning of his public, public ministry looks like, verse 17. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Father Mark a couple weeks ago, he talked about repentance. His whole sermon kind of centered on repentance. So if you haven't heard that, I'd encourage you to go ahead and get on our podcast feed and listen back to it. But And I'm, I'm really going to kind of draw some inspiration from some of what Father Mark shared a couple weeks ago. He talked about how repentance is this idea of turning around right, of heading in a new direction, if that's a helpful way of looking at it. And so when Jesus began his ministry, his teaching centered around asking people to reconsider their lives before God, right, and reconsidering the current influences they have, whether that was the Roman world around them, whether that was the teachings of particular Jewish elites and how they interpreted the Torah, in, in God's holy scripture, right? Jesus is saying, put yourself before God. What is God asking you to do? Can you return to that way of living? I think repentance, it forces us to say and to ask ourselves, where is my life out of step with God? How can I change things to come back to God's way of living, right? Because this idea of repenting because the kingdom of God of heaven is at hand, right? Heaven is kind of code for the, the rule and the reign of God. And so Jesus is promising that when we change our ways, right, when we go move in God's direction, the, the span of God's reign in the world is going to begin to increase and multiply. That's kind of this, this um, promise that he's giving in the beginning of his ministry. It's both a, a warning, but it's also a hopeful thing, right? The Jews were longing for the day that God's reign and rule would get, span, would get expanded across the earth. But in the midst of all this, right, it was this call to repentance, it was certainly disruptive, right? This is what John was preaching and what happened to John, right? He got thrown in prison for preaching this message of repentance, of turning back to God. Repentance, it does include this changing of our minds, but it's more than just like a mental shift in thinking, right? True repentance must have accompanying action, not just a shifting of the way that we think. And part of the reason for this is Christianity isn't a bunch of things to believe, but really it's this way of living in the world that God has given us to embrace. So it includes this shift, right? Sometimes we have to reevaluate how we think, right? Reframing, which I'm going to get to in a little bit, is kind of this re-envisioning, re-seeing, but there's got to be accompanying action with this. And so like I mentioned, right, this is the opportunity where we ask ourselves and we think and we reflect, where is my life out of step with God's ways? When I ask this question to myself, usually a good indicator that my life is out of step with God's ways is I notice the areas in my life where I'm starting to get judgmental. And I notice that because when I'm getting judgmental, when I'm getting really frustrated with other people or things around me, it's probably because I'm thinking about myself and the way I want things to be too much. Right? I'm not giving God the opportunity to enter into that. Right? And maybe I've evaluated the situation correctly. Right? Maybe I, I, it's, it's fair for me to be frustrated in that, in that state. But that the judgment piece, right? the I need to have it done this way or my way, right? that's 
for me, I know that's the entryway of sin into my own life, of saying it's got to be my way, of not stepping back and saying, can I consider other people? Have I considered God, right? Have I loved my neighbor as myself? Have I loved God, right? The, the great commandment. And now I want to shift from this idea of repentance into thinking about this word reframe, right? That's maybe not a, a commonly used word, but I actually want to pair them together because I think it's really appropriate, at least as I was thinking and praying through this passage and thinking about what does following Jesus mean in my life. I think reframe for me gets at this idea in Jesus's command to follow him, and, but instead of saying follow me, I'm saying reframe because reframe repent, reframe, maybe you can remember it a little bit better. So if repentance is this turning away from an old way of living, for me, reframe gets at this positive way of thinking about what does it mean to follow Jesus, right? Because it's not enough to just simply turn away from the bad. We have to embrace the way of God or the good in life, right? Because if we just turn away from the bad, that's a good start, but if we're not going anywhere, we have actually haven't embraced God's way in our life. I'm, I've always been struck when I read this passage around the simplicity of Jesus' call to his first disciples, right? It's not this 20-minute speech about why they need to follow him and all the things that they need to do, right? Jesus encounters these men fishing, and he says something really, really simple, right? He says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And so, like I said, it's, it's simple, but the, the simplicity of the call doesn't take away from the magnitude, I think, of what's being asked in, the, in this particular scenario, right? In this decision that Jesus is putting before them. To follow Jesus means that these brothers, right, and you see it in the response, right, they leave their nets, which is essentially, right, their livelihoods. They leave those things behind to follow Jesus. It's possible that these first disciples, they might have had a limited view of themselves, right? Fishing probably wasn't the worst job you could have had in the first century world, but it surely wasn't the best, you know? In, in the first century, when, when rabbis were taking disciples on, people who would follow in their footsteps, oftentimes, though, you know, they would take the best of the best by the age of 12. So if these men weren't already following a rabbi, that, that possibly meant they might have been passed over. You know, they're kind of like, oh, well, I guess I got to keep going with the family business because I wasn't good enough to do something else. And so again, you know, without trying to over-psychoanalyze these, these men, right? There, there's maybe a little bit of that going on in there. And I think it's significant, right, that they haven't sought Jesus out to follow. To me, it's really significant that Jesus sees them and says, you, in all of your imperfection, with all the things you maybe don't like about yourselves and all the things that you're wrestling with in your life, right? I want you. I want you to follow me, and I know you can follow me, right? He's, Jesus isn't recruiting the best 
of the best, if he was doing that, he certainly wouldn't have been in Capernaum doing this. But Jesus sees these men and he stops and he can see them, right, from God's perspective. He knows, right, like the, the psalm that we read this morning, he knows their stories. He's seen the whole of who they are, what God has before them, and he wants to give them the opportunity to respond, to do something new and different. Jesus is giving them a new start. It's a disruptive new start, but it's a new start if they'll take it. Uh, as I was also reflecting and getting ready to preach this week, I, also, I, I, I thought it was really interesting that the last time I preached was January 1st on New Year's Day, and today, January 22nd, happens to be Lunar New Year, Chinese New Year, um, in a lot of Asian, South Asian countries. So this is a, I thought it was interesting. It's like, hmm, I'm kind of preaching on these two days where globally and culturally, a lot of people are thinking about new starts. Gong hei fa choi is what you say, at least in Cantonese, to wish someone not happy New Year, but this sense of peace and prosperity and happiness in the New Year that is to follow. And so there's a lot of traditions in, a, in many of these new, new, Lunar New Year celebrations that illustrate, I think, this human, universal human desire that we have for something new or something different. Uh, in Chinese culture, a lot of times families will, will do a really deep clean of their houses before the Lunar New Year. And what's really interesting is the word in Chinese for dust is like, it sounds very similar to the word for old. So the idea is by doing this clean, they're taking out all of the old, the dust, and they're, and they're preparing their lives for something new. But here's the difference, right? The difference between a New Year's start, whether it's our January 1st New Year or the Lunar New Year that happens to fall on today, and the call of Jesus is that oftentimes when we're thinking about a new start, that burden falls on our shoulders, right? How am I going to envision myself? How am I going to make myself new? What are the things that I need to do to grow and to change? But Jesus doesn't pass that burden on to his followers, right? He doesn't say, you figure out how to get better in your life if you want a new start. Jesus says, follow me and I will show you how to be renewed. Isn't that amazing that we don't have to figure it out? What we need to do is simply be open to this opportunity from God to be renewed. I also think it's really interesting how Jesus phrases this call, right? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So he's doing this really interesting thing where he's taken their current vocation but he's reframed it, right? He's utterly transformed it into being something new. So they've got some categories for what it looks like to be a fisherman. But here's the catch, right? They're not catching fish anymore. Jesus says, go catch other people. Bring them, right? Cast your net out and bring them into this new way that God is creating. I think it's beautiful that God takes the lives that we currently have and gives us an opportunity to reframe them. Yes, are there times where we really need to cut things out and have a fresh start? Absolutely. 
But I think oftentimes these first steps of obedience are saying, God, where have you currently placed me? And what does that next faithful step in following you look like? I think that's some of the call that we're wrestling with here. Right? It's this affirmation of their former sense of self, but he's reframed it for God's kingdom, not just for their own sense of identity and worth and working and all of that. God is inviting them into a bigger work, something bigger than what they were already participating in. Uh, When I teach a confirmation class for our students here at Church of the Apostles, um, one of the first things we talk about is these two fundamental questions that I think every society has ever asked, and every society has different ways of answering. And I think Christianity has a way of getting at this as well. But for me, those two fundamental questions are, number one, who am I? Right? And Christianity says we are all children made in God's image, beloved by God and created for good things, despite our rebellion and sin. And the second thing is, why am I here? Or another way of thinking about that, right, is why, what's my purpose in life? And Jesus is giving them another sense of this, right? He says, you were made to follow me. You were made to help me announce the kingdom of God in all of its glory into the world. And so I think that's what our invitation is, is to say, repent. Where are some things that are pulling me away from this vision of what God wants to do in my life, right? Turn away from them, but also reframe. Are there ways where I can step in faith, right? Because We know the stories of the disciples, right? Just because they chose to follow him immediately in this circumstance didn't mean that they figured it out, right? So much of the Gospels is the disciples failing to follow Jesus the right way. But the important thing, right, is that they stick with it. They continue to follow Jesus despite their messing up and they're not getting things right. We're learning from the master, right? That's what this discipleship journey is. And the kingdom is revealed in and through those actions. So as we close, I think we have an invitation to live our lives as God intended them to be. And part of what we need to do is simply act in faith, right? Take that first step. It might be a big thing. It might be a little thing as we repent and we reframe our lives to God's glory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.